This podcast is a part of the Carbon Almanac Network of Podcasts. Welcome to the Carbon Connection Podcast. It's not too late to change the conversation about climate change from doom and gloom to a conversation about possibility. This podcast is a curated selection of episodes that we just had to share with you. The Carbon Connection is about the many dimensions of climate change and the conversations people are having across the globe. It's about hope, community, advocacy, science, and changing our future. Hi, I'm Lori, a member of the Carbon Almanac Network. The episode you are about to hear is from Mrs. Green's World podcast entitled Using Our Big Brains to Take Climate Action, Episode 1. The first episode is a conversation between John A. Skip Leitner and the host Gina Murphy-Darling. The series explores issues around climate, climate action, and climate solutions through a variety of different lenses. What I really connected with in this first episode is the way they discuss the invisibility of climate change and how we need to work together to make the challenge visible and easy to understand. One example that was very effective for me was the comparison of the Earth's rise in temperature to that of a child. If you see your child's temperature raised by two degrees, it becomes alarming. And we need to think about the Earth in the same way. Later in the episode, they discuss thinking about climate actions like insurance, which was another really relatable analogy. As we work towards solutions, they discuss how it will take head, heart, and soul to solve the challenges. We need to work collaboratively to put all of our thought power together and change the normal pattern of how things have historically been done. We need to ask new questions to stimulate new ideas think differently, and constantly ask questions to keep getting better. There was one conversation at the end that strikes a rally cry for me. Do we want a hard decade or a bad century? We can make changes now, together, that will make the future better. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. This is exciting. Today we are launching the first of three podcast episodes that we are calling our Big Brain Series. Buckle up, everybody, because we're going to explore the issues around climate, climate action, and climate solutions through a variety of powerful lenses, what we call the big brain thinking lenses. Thinking in a big brain way is thinking through ideas and concepts so that we can understand our place in the world, the problems that we are creating, and the opportunities we can generate to build solutions. The time is now. It really is critical. It's time to step up our game. Hi, I'm Gina Murphy-Darling, and this is Impact Earth. I'm honored to welcome our guest for this next hour and simply state that he is, in fact, a big brain thinker. So you'll want to stay here with me as you hear him explore things from his very big brain. Please join me in welcoming John A. Skip Leitner. He is an international resource economist with the Tucson-based Economic and Human Dimensions Research Associates. He is also a past president of the Association for Environmental Studies and Sciences, and more recently, a University of Arizona instructor for a graduate course in economics for public policy. And I could read so much more about him. You can look him up. Just Google him. Just Google him. So, Skip, you're really here, and we are finally doing this. Uh, I'm delighted to be here, Gina, even if I had to turn my big brain off or on. I can't figure out which. <laughs> you just have to pump up the volume, dude, because we have a lot of stuff to cover. And I told you this morning, I'm nervous, and it's because of the, the importance of this message and these shows that we're going to do and activating people's big brains, because it's going to, it's going to be a heavy lift to preserve this great planet of ours. Yeah, it's a spot-on comment because uh, even as we're trying to imagine the world economy growing by 20% over the next decade or so, at the same time, we have to reduce greenhouse gas emissions by 45% in the next uh, eight years and then move uh, uh, down to near zero by the year 2050. And that doesn't mean doing without, it means doing it differently and thinking differently in big new ways. And that's part of the discussion we're going to have, I suspect. 
Right, and don't go stealing my questions. <laughs> um, we've talked about so many things. So when I was preparing for this show, I thought when you have the courage to call something a big brain series, which I believe this is, the challenge for me becomes where do we start the big brain conversation? So let's do it and start it with a bang because there isn't a, a perfect place. Welcome to the Anthropocene. I love that word. Um, scientists throw it around like everybody is a big brain and they know what it means. What does it mean? We all don't know what it means. What is the Anthropocene and are we in it? Oh, we are definitely in it. Maybe since the 1950s, although geologists uh, suggest that we're in the epoch called the Holocene, which is the last 11,700 years since the last glacial period when we've had a stable climate and a really a solid platform to grow our agriculture, to grow our communities over the last 11,000 years. But in 1776, when we began the United States, we formed the USA back then, uh, we were maybe emitting uh, 15 million tons of carbon dioxide per year. But today, we're as a global economy, we're up over 59 billion tons. And that has just gone so far to reshape how the world responds, how the heat builds up. Uh, we are shaping the world in ways that the geological forces never did. There are so many of us. In, in uh, 1776, there were maybe 800 million people on Earth. We're about to hit 8 billion people. So imagine... If you were living in a house by yourself and all of a sudden nine other people moved in with you, that would force a huge shift in the way you imagine providing food, imagine you providing clothing, uh, good fun interaction services and keeping everybody pleasantly occupied. That's where we are. And um, let me tell you this. Uh, I did a thought experiment a year ago and shared it with the NASA scientists, the National Oceanic uh, Atmospheric Administration, not NASA, but the atmospheric administration people. I said, you know, your data suggests that the world is heating up to the tune of just one watt per square meter. And uh, we have a, a lot of sunshine coming in and a lot of heat escaping the earth, but the greenhouse gases have trapped one watt per square meter. That doesn't sound like a lot. But then I shared with them, I said, but we're over uh, 500 million square meters on this earth and one watt per square meter adds up to the equivalent of energy we use globally to 25 times all the energy we use on every year on this earth because of our economic activity. And they confirmed my calculation. They said, you're exactly right. All that one watt buildup with all the energy at work, 25 times the world's energy consumption annually. And you've got to think that heats up the oceans, that drives the atmosphere in new ways. It creates droughts, it creates wildfires in ways we've never anticipated. So big brain stuff means being more open to what we are doing because there's so many more of us. We have so much more in the way of income on average, and we have so much more in the way of activity. And I'll, I'll leave this one final thought. Uh, colleagues of mine at the Weizmann Institute uh, of Science in Israel have confirmed that for the first time in 2020, all the materials that humanity has put together, all the concrete, all the roadway, all the building, all the iron, all the steel, all the minerals, all the gravel, all of that that we use now equals the total biomass on Earth, all the living matter, including ourselves, of course, but plants and animals. We have produced more material, what we call anthropogenic mass, hence the name of the age moving out of the Holocene, which was previously geologically driven, we are driving changes in bigger ways than we've ever imagined. So the anthropogenic mass, hence the Anthropocene, we are really driving changes that we need to pay more attention. As I've said, the good news is we can do it differently. We can do it with humor. We can do it with a good community spirit and we can still provide for our social well-being employment, but we need to do it differently. And that's the problem. That's the challenge you give to me every time I talk to you. For fun, I looked up what the definition of the, I say Anthropocene, I guess that's right. Yes. I mean wrong, Anthropocene, I like that a little better. You say it from the Jersey accent. I am Jersey girl, <laughs> that's true. Um, it's sometimes used to simply describe the time during which humans have had a substantial impact on our planet. Whether or not we are in a new geological age, we are part of a complex global system and the evidence of our impact of it has become clear, which is what you just addressed. So 
Is there anything more you want to add about how we have shaped the world and how it's coming back to haunt us? Because that is what you just said when you talk about the biomass. And, and Skip, one of the things that occurred to me while you were speaking is the urgency that I talked to you about before the show and that I called Dave about, my angst, is because people, you can't see those parts per million up in the atmosphere. So it becomes not real, it becomes not in your face, it becomes not an issue. But the last year, it has helped us to see the devastating impact of fires. It has helped us to see the immense flooding. It has helped us to see the drought. It's tragic, but people, if they can't see it, it's very hard for people to get their head around it. So is there anything you want to add for how we have shaped this world and how it's coming back to haunt us? I know you have a lot to say about that. but A lot to say. Yeah, no, you make a good comment, Gina. And the idea is that uh, we had as a family, as a community, as a city, as a state or as a nation, we tend to be so much in the moment and so disconnected with the things that our actions create that if we simply step back and be more aware of the consequences. So for example, in the 1980s in the US, climate change disasters maybe totaled $19 billion a year on average in the 1980s. Last year, we were at um, $145 billion a year, and we had 688 people dying because of tornadoes or wildfire or what have you, uh, tornadoes or uh, rainfalls, floods, things like that. If my estimates are right, just maintaining the trends, if we don't change what we're doing now, by the year 2040, we may be up to $372 billion of climate damages and more like 1,000 people dying a year cumulatively between now and 2040. That could be a half, uh, $5 trillion of damages. And that's just damages to buildings and structures. That's not damages to people's lives, to their well-being, to whether it disrupts their ability to stay employed, to have food on their table, that sort of thing. It's big, bigger than we've imagined and bigger than we are really willing to pay attention to unless we step back and I, I dare say, um, with a bit of humor, but as a looking forward saying, hey, what is it I'm doing today that could have consequences 10 years or 15 years down the road? We've got to get out instead of planning for our vacation next year to think what it is we're doing today that might have an impact 10 years, 15 years, people, not only in the U.S., but globally as well. You know, the third series in the series that we're going to do, we are going to talk in depth in great detail about the investment it's going to take. So I want you to keep that. And I, I, I could go off on the tangent of we're so willing to pay billions and billions of dollars to fix things, but we're not willing to invest upfront in what it can take to change things. And I think we shouldn't go there because we have a whole show that I'm counting on you to provide a lot of economic information because one thing people, most people understand is money. So you talk about the biomass, right? That's such a scientific term. You get it, you grasp it. You you have a big brain, and I'm not just trying to blow smoke. It doesn't it does it's like ridiculous to even say that. But why does it matter? What does it even mean? Like you go into it, and I want in like simple speak, um, we've had such a devastating impact on the earth. And how do we get that message? And like you said, I'm glad you're bringing up humor because if you know it, I've got a great sense of humor and I wasn't laughing preparing for this show. I'm thinking about Rooney, my three, soon-to-be three-year-old granddaughter, and my, my heart is saying, hurry up, Gina, get to more people. Hurry up, Skip, get to more people. Hurry up, climate scientists. And when I say get to more people, not with this daunting, depressing, get them engaged Get them to realize they have the power to become part of the solution. Bingo. So when you talk about biomass, it's like we've got to stop. <laughs> we've got to stop. And is it because of consumption? Is that the number one? Is it because of development? Is it because the industrialized nation? What was the impetus behind getting from that point in a very short time in history to where we are today with the numbers that you mention? Yeah, no, a spot on comment. And yeah, we've got to move uh, forward in a very dynamic, very, uh, we dare to innovate. We dare to shift gears. We dare to ask big questions on how we can do things better and differently, but still maintaining, as I said earlier, our jobs, our community, our sense of fun with our family and our neighbors, that sort of thing. But biomass, um, 
we, we don't pay attention, but everything from insects that pollinate the crops that we feed off of, from the trees and the way waterways work to clean the water that we have access to for drinking water, for example, for maintaining a stable climate, not an overheated climate. If we take down too many trees, which we've been doing in the Amazon and elsewhere, it leaves fewer trees to absorb carbon dioxide, which continues to heat up the planet. Imagine, uh, we, since um, the turn of the uh, century, our temperature globally is about 1.1 degrees centigrade above average. That's about two degrees Fahrenheit. Now imagine you go into your daughter's bedroom or your granddaughter's, Rooney's bedroom, and she has a two degree temperature, uh, 100, 100 degrees, 101 degrees you would be worried about her. And if you knew she was going to have to have that temperature with her for the rest of her life, you know she's going to be more vulnerable. She's going to have less appetite or less inspiration, more, more weariness that she can't deal with. And she's going to be more susceptible to disease in various ways. That's where we are right now. We have heated up the earth two degrees Fahrenheit. And it's looking like it could go to four degrees, five degrees. Imagine having a family member with a 104 degree temperature for the rest of their life. That's the scale of what we're talking about. But we can turn that around. And the good news is we don't have to do it tomorrow, but we have to take steps today that add up over time. So if we drive 100 miles less in our car, we might be reducing greenhouse gas emissions by 80 pounds just by driving less. If we walk person, One person. One person. And over 10 years, that's 800 pounds of less in the way of we putting into the atmosphere. If we don't buy as many clothes or if we don't waste as much food as we do, all that requires energy, all that requires plant matter, water, things to produce food and clothing. So we waste in the United States, 100 billion pounds of food per year. If that is, let's call it $4 a pound, that's $400 billion of waste down the drain. That is things we use water, things we use plant matter, things we use materials, chemicals to produce, and it's all being wasted even as it's releasing greenhouse gas emissions. So one of the things we can do is think about how we eat better, how we waste less, how we be a little bit more practical doesn't mean we do without the food, but we make a smarter use of food because we're more aware. We're opening our thinking up to what I do today has a big impact tomorrow and especially 10 years from now. And you know, there are expressions like, if it is to be, it's up to me. They are wise, they last, and there's a reason for that. And just last night, we had homemade bean soup. And I'm telling you this because it was a legume. We got it at the farmer's market and there was no meat in it. If you had told me 10 years ago that I would eating bean soup without a ham <laughs> hock, I would say you're nuts, like it would have no flavor. It was delicious. So to your point, it's exploring, it's trying new habits, but the biggest thing that is required is the big brain thinking about everything you do. You have, for the most part, stopped flying. That's a big deal. Anyway, so... Well, my first comment to you is, in the spirit of good humor, why didn't you invite me over last night? Sounds like a good I meal. I forgot. <laughs> I can give you some to go, because there is some Ooh, to go, but okay. oh my gosh. And, our, and my daughter and my husband and I were saying, this is so good. It's so much better than ordering fast food. All of those things where we had a family meal, it was delicious, it nourished our bodies and our souls, and we had time together. It was not expensive, which is becoming more and more um, a huge issue. Well, I'll give you an example. I Yesterday... I bought some strawberries uh, some days ago, and I had about a third of them left over. Five years ago or so, I thought, well, they're looking like they're going to wilt. Just throw them out. Just throw them out. Well, what I did instead is I put them in a smoothie, and yes. it turned out to be fabulous. Yes. So that's the Those kind are, that's of rethinking. That's a perfect example. It's not massive, go out and everybody buy a Tesla. That is not it, because everybody can't go buy a Tesla. At least not today. Not today. Man, I hope there's an electric vehicle in my future, I can tell you that. Um, so as I have said to you on our three podcasts before this, and I will say it to you on this one and probably the other ones, what you did for me in my journey is bring another dimension that has stuck with me to the entire climate change conversation. And to me, one that is critical, it's imperative, and it's you talked about it a little bit, it's what I call the true cost, the true impact, the true integrated big brain picture of the impact of climate change, its connection to the food chain. You've convinced me 
beyond the shadow of a doubt that economics is not apart from the economy and climate change. They are inextricably bound. We have to have the same conversation about what the true cost is. And I guess what I want to know, how do we even begin to measure that? You talked about numbers. And as an economist, I want to know if you know this, and I don't want to put you on the spot. Are there people like little little green men and women in a big think tank somewhere that say, here's a forest fire, here's how many people lived in that area, here's blah, 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 and they put it into formulas so that they can benchmark, so that they can come out with metrics and measure the true cost? How do we get those numbers is what I'm asking you. And you're an economist. Yeah, good comment. And I have to tell you right off the bat, if there are little green men and women in a think tank, I don't want to go there. I, I, I probably do. I want to meet them and, and interview them. Well, and all right, if we can step back and, <laughs> yeah, and laugh yeah. a little. But no, you're, you're, you raise a good question. And the numbers I gave you uh, last year in the U.S., again, $145 billion of damage. We can think of those as structural damage. And the way it's affected people's lives, the income they may lose, the opportunity they may forego... Uh, I'm engaging what I call thought experiments. And uh, this is uh, after a famous um, nuclear physicist, uh, Enrico Fermi, back in 38, he won the Nobel Prize for uh, physics way back then. And he was famous for these Fermi calculations, what I call thought experiments. I've been doing some thinking about exactly that question. So that 145, if we add up lost income, shift in people's lives, uh, lack of social services, what have you, to maintain the quality of their life, we could easily be thinking two to three times that number right. easily. Right. So 145 becomes 300 billion to maybe 450 billion. And that's last year. If we're looking at the year 2040, we're talking more like uh, uh, $1.2 trillion, including the quality of life, including the lost services, including the lost income, quite apart from the infrastructure transitions that we have to do. So it's big, but we don't track that. We don't closely monitor. It's not reported in the news. We don't talk about it. And you talk about it to me. So I become, I'm using the word zealot, which is not a positive word to describe me, but that's what I'm becoming. It's like, I want to be that person that goes up and grabs a straw out of somebody's mouth yeah. and says, you're not using a water bottle, are you? And that is a fool's errand. I know that. I don't do it. But in my heart, to your point, when you're talking about the devastation of the rainforest, I was on a training call last night and one of the participants, and I was training about creating cultures of sustainability, which is not a one-off. Creating culture of sustainability has to have someone that's the steward of a company that keeps doing it. And he said to me, you know, he watched a video that I did and he goes, I'm just so impressed. He said some really nice things that were embarrassing to me. So I was like, okay, let's get this over with. But what he did ask me is what got you? What started you on your journey? I was in corporate America. I had a big office. I had a lot of staff. I drove a Suburban. I mean, it's like my life has pivoted. It's one of my favorite words. And what I said to him is my trip to the rainforest. And to your point, I can't imagine, I I don't want to imagine that anybody could go deep in the Amazon rainforest, connect with any of the people and have no impact on their lives. Not everybody comes back and becomes the, the champion of Mother Earth like I did, but you can see the devastation, the barren people sitting on land that they were surrounded by trees and they got $3,000 from an oil company and now they're squatters and there's no way, they used to go out and and go feed themselves from the forest. And when you see that devastation, talk about a wake-up call and that's what you're talking about. We have to figure out somehow without bringing everyone to the Amazon that there is a true cost. And the thing that I've learned from you, which you've never said these words, but I've learned from your conversations is we're not measuring the collective pain. Really good comment. To the animals, to the insects. So talk a little bit about that. You've just given me an idea, actually. This is really good, Gina. Can I be part of your experiment? (laughs) You're stimulating. You're asking good questions and maybe some steps forward. I was listening to stock market reports yesterday. Here, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change released this major report uh, on Monday. Huge report talking about the ways forward, the strategies. And the stock market didn't even address it yesterday. But here's where we could go, is if we started having 
the climate change report so that we know what is happening in terms of species extinction or what we know in the way of coral reefs dying or bleaching uh, way beyond their ability to maintain fish, or what we know about crops that may be having problems, um, not as much corn in some parts of the U.S. being grown as might elsewhere, or the flooding that might be going, or the, the wildfires. If we had a bit more awareness and people had an app uh, that uh, a lot of people have apps that track how much the budget deficit is in the United States every day. Nobody looks at what the benefits could be if we change the way we do things 10 years from now. So maybe an ecosystem of apps where people can real-time access information and bring it into their, uh, their daily life. So they know that if they don't drive 100 miles today or if they buy a car that gets 45 miles per gallon three, four years from now instead of 25 miles a gallon, and then maybe in 10 years they can afford an EV, or if they talk to their legislators or their supervisors or city council people because they have access to information and it's being made available more real time in very real ways. Again, species lost, crops lost, food dumped, waste in, in the, uh, the landfill, things like that. There may be more of an opportunity to move ahead. These are small actions people can take today. They're important because then they open up the huge opportunity for the bigger actions we're going to have to take as well. So it's not like waiting until 10 years to make it happen. As uh, my colleague Jim Skay, uh, who's with the uh, Working Group 3 of the International Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, said on Monday, I was part of the group in 2017 that laid the foundation for this report. They did all the work. I just was there part of laying out some thoughts. Um, but he said, we know what to do. We know how to do it, but we've got to make it happen, and we've got to make it happen beginning today. So if everybody that's listening here, you have a huge audience here, and if every single person listening to us today talks to three people, a city council person, a business person, or their neighbor, saying, we've got to act on this, that begins opening up the dialogue, the dimensions, and it might even open up more of a community participation so we come together. I think there's three things we've got to think about. How we use energy, because energy is one of the biggest drivers of climate change. It produces fossil fuels, produces much the way of greenhouse gas emissions. How we use resources, energy. How we use um, uh, people working together in a whole new way. So energy, but information, how we're available, uh, making access to information so we better understand the impacts we're having today and then within our community. So energy resources, information, and then collaborative cooperation, community interaction might actually bring us all together in a more solid way, in a more immediate way that gets us past all the other stuff that's going on in the world. And we're going to segue into finding common ground, which I think is a more helpful hopeful is the word, part of the conversation. But as you're talking, um, my daughter Katie came in and showed me something yesterday. And just stay with me. Don't like it up and run out of the room because it's <laughs> what I'm going to talk about. Um, fast food is such an evil force, in my opinion. Okay. Agreed. Because I can say that because why? Because I can afford to not eat fast food. Right. So when I've studied with like the um, Natural Resources Defense Council, when I've read their work and when I've interviewed some of them, if you are really poor and you can go get a Happy Meal for your kid so they won't be hungry and it's $1.99 because you have four kids and you work as a maid at a hotel, that's what their choices are. I worked with at-risk populations, so I know they're not mean-spirited, lazy, don't give a crap people. They're poor. That's a, that's a reality. So Katie comes in and shows me in LA, a Big Mac is now $7, okay? Ooh. So I said, my first reaction was, great, maybe it'll discourage people from eating fast food. My big brain went into effect. It was knock, knock, Gina. What about the people that are literally trying to Fill their children's hungry bellies. Skip, that's what it comes down to. And what fast food industry did was found out to make billions of dollars on giving those kids crap. But if you don't want your kid to be crying because they're hungry going to bed. To my point, 
The bag of soup we bought at the farmer's market, I love these women that we call them the soup ladies. I think that's what they call them. And it just, it's made, it makes it easy. We had a busy day here yesterday. So we put it in the Instapot and added water. That was the big preparation Mm -hmm. for a nutritious, no preservatives, healthy food. How do we pivot like that? I don't even know what the question is here, but with you, I go off on these rants and you like bring me (laughs) down to earth because it isn't good that it's, $7 $7 from McDonald's unless right, we right. find a way to provide food for people that use Taco Bell and Burger King and McDonald's because it's cheap. If right, it's not right. cheap anymore, then more people are going to be hungry. More kids are going to go to bed hungry. Well, so my big brain worked. Yeah, no, it's, that's a good and a very important big brain question because people are suffering. People don't have they the choices we have. But here's the deal. It's not doing without, as I said earlier. Right. It's doing it differently. Right. And remember I said we right. waste 100 billion pounds of food in this country a year. About 37% is in our homes because we don't pay attention, so we throw things away. But commercially, uh, like 70% or more. And if we could figure out a way to pull that food back into the cycle, then more things are available to people who need Uh, to have their kids fed and that sort of thing. So it's doing it differently. It's not doing without. But that means we have to step back our big brain and say, how can we reduce food loss, food waste? How can we increase a little bit of income over here by providing new opportunities that enable them to find something besides a $7 hamburger? Uh, All those are big brain questions that we need to be more mindful today and tomorrow that we need to have constantly asking each other and sharing with each other and being willing to say, hey, We've got 10 years to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, less than 10 years, eight years now, uh, by 45%. That means every one of us has to be responsible. Yes, we've got legislation, programs in place that'll bring some of the emissions down, but they're going to take a while and we need to ramp those up. But all of us, whether we're talking about walking more, eating better, less food waste, or even in the U.S., we have 45 million, 50 million acres of grass equal to most of the national parks in this country that we use water. We have six billion gallons of gasoline that we use to mow the grass and to care for that grass. If more of that grass were under trees that were mulched and had natural plants planted instead of grass, we would reduce the amount of gasoline to maintain that. We reduce the amount of uh, pesticides, insecticides, we reduce the amount of water to maintain that frees up more for other people to have access to. So it's really stepping back. Think about our lifestyle in whole new ways. I'll give you an example. Um, four years ago, I think I may have mentioned on a previous podcast, my colleague and I estimated that when we think about all the waste that goes in the landfill every day per person per day, about 4.4 pounds of waste from our home from our uh, work into the landfill every day. Per person. Per person. Yeah. But we added in all the waste that comes from the soil erosion we create, all the tons of soil losses because we keep pushing the earth. We keep opening and widening our highways, things like that. All the fecal matter from all the livestock that's in the U.S., all the greenhouse gases, all the air pollution, add up all those wastes. We go from four pounds per person today to 280 pounds per person per day. That's waste. If we step back and think how to bring it back into the process of providing for families, providing for our community in whole new ways, we're then dealing with the problem of our social economic well-being even as we're bringing greenhouse gas emissions down big time. That's the scale we have. It's not a small incremental change. We have to pivot into a bigger change, but that means we have to talk to each other. That means we have to share. We have to ask new questions, open to new ideas. I'm no expert in a lot of this, but asking questions like you're asking now is stimulating some good thoughts, and that's where we need to be headed. And I don't want to leave the conversation of the app. I might become your worst nightmare. I I really might. I might become, because (laughs) when you said that, if there was a way, like we did a training the other day and we did a quiz and it was on people's phones and it was a young audience. I I think the age, the median age was maybe like, I don't know, they looked 14, but they were probably 22 because everybody looks a lot younger to me these days. And they loved that we had a QR code that they could scan it on their phone. It got them engaged. These two young men, it's a bar downtown called Highwire. 
and they care. Another place, yeah. Oh, so do I. And the owner, Nick Wayne, he cares deeply. So he's he's pushing me to find more and more and more things they can do to lower their car footprint. And I called him yesterday and I said, Nick, I just want to tell you about a comment from two young men after we were leaving. They came up to us, like, and I, you know, I call myself an old lady. I'm not an old lady. I am not. You're a young well, Gina. I don't know how to tell you that. You're a young well. (laughs) I'm I'm just, I am. Just watch out. If you call me that, I'll go for your throat. But they came up to me and they said, these two young men that are, he said, they're, they're cooks. They cook. He said, I said, Nick, they said this was great and we learned so much and we want to learn more. And it's really a big problem, isn't it? And I mean, that kind of thoughtfulness is important. But for younger generation, if there was an app, and I know there are ways that you can, there are apps that measure your carbon footprint. It's really onerous. Some scientists created it. Sorry, no, I don't want to cast this version on scientists, but it has to be easy and user-friendly. But you should really start thinking about that because you know the people and you know what would have to be in it and it might be one of the answers. So thanks for addressing what I call the collective pain. Right. Because that's, it's pain. It's really pain. And in the most, the highest rate of consumption in the world, that's what we are. So if we just get to Americans, we can start making a big, huge difference. Well, as you just said, if we do it differently, we can still have a good time and feel satisfied from a standpoint of a uh, good food, good meal, but satisfied from social interaction, satisfied from being able to participate in our community together and still be able to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. But we have to think differently and we have to constantly be asking questions, how can we do this better? And some people say to me, it's overwhelming. And I have a great answer now that I use all the time. And you know, I did not think it up on my own. When I get to that place, which I got to a lot yesterday preparing for this, and it wasn't nervousness about you, for God's sake, you're one of my dear friends. It was about the importance of what we are trying to do, the urgency we feel in every cell in our body. So it's like, okay, how do you eat an elephant, a 500 pound elephant? There's no such thing as probably how many pounds away, but you know that's the expression. How do you eat? Oh, maybe a baby elephant. One bite at a time. Right. So I did breathing, and I said, "You've got to just take a deep breath, like you're doing, and we've got to breathe because we want to address the collective pain with joy, with humor, with fun. We have a lot of fun, you and I, and with." true intention. Um, this is maybe the weirdest question. It's not one I thought of till right now. So you can't, you can't hate me, but do you think at some level, I can't believe I'm answering this question. Oh my gosh. Uh oh. What it really is going to require is a combination of our heads and our hearts because I need more balance. I come from the heart and it's exhausting and it shuts me down days. And I, I cry a lot when I'm thinking about my head goes into the conversation. It's like, Gina, that's not going to be serving anyone. Cry, have your pity party of one, and then get up, feel it, and then what are you going to do about it? Get your head in gear. So do you think that that's a shift we should be talking about more? Let your head be more connected to your heart so we can really move forward? Because losing the planet, we won't lose the planet. We're going to lose all the people and the animals. We're not going to lose the planet. Mother Earth is going to be fine. She'll write herself and say, sorry, guys, you really screwed up. You almost stripped me raw. Yeah, no, good thought. It's heart, head, and soul together. Yes, it's all that. yes, thank uh, you for the spiritual The piece. more that we understand how other people are suffering or becoming happier or having more opportunity in their lives, the more positive we are going to feel and the more joy we can take out. And that gives us the wherewithal to step back. I'm going out this weekend to hear one of my favorite bands, uh, Little House of Funk here in Tucson. (laughs) I'm going to step back and have a good time. Uh, Connie Brannick is a great musician, great heart herself, and she inspires. So even as I'm now working with my class and other people, I'm going to take a step back. So we got to have heart, head, and soul together in order to pull this off. But that means we have to be mindful of all three together. That means we have to change the normal patterns. Mind, body, spirit. Yeah. Mind, body, spirit. And the one that I think most of us forget my daughter and I were talking about this morning, is spirit. Meditating. You don't have to meditate for a half hour saying om. If you do five minutes of mindfulness with your eyes closed and are aware of your surroundings and you know how much, how much water you're going to use this morning. I mean, it doesn't have to be heavy. It becomes habit. Um, it, it's funny, the habits have changed for me. 
is I passed out copies of an evaluation to these same 40 people on Monday. Right. I won't do that anymore. I'm going to figure out how to get it in an app. There you go. Somebody on my team already knows how to do it. I'm sure my daughter knows how to do it so that they can (laughs) have the application because I gave out 40 pieces of paper. And then I wouldn't, I didn't want to make copies to give to my client and to Christina Palsgrove who did it with me. That's mindfulness. It's like, no, I do not need to use printer cartridge, drive down there and so that they can have their 40 copies. And if everybody in business did that, um, it's unbelievable. And, well, let me ask you this. Um, as you see, I'm wearing a shirt here today. Uh, oh, you're it, not allowed to ask me questions. Oh, well. <laughs> I'm kidding. Go ahead. You got you're me looking here. a very nice green shirt. It's a nice shirt. I've had it over 10 years. A lot of people will replace shirts every three or four years because I've kept this shirt, and it still looks reasonably decent. Very nice. It saves hundreds of gallons of water because it takes a lot of water and energy to process the cloth, the material to produce this shirt. If we buy too many shirts too often, it's creating more in the way of water consumption, energy use, greenhouse gas emissions. And yet I like this shirt. It's a good shirt. So mindfulness means being with other people in the moment, appreciating their heart and soul, not so much what you're wearing necessarily or where you're going to go next necessarily, but stepping back and enjoying each other in a whole new community sense that we can shift the pattern of purchases, the way we use food, the way we waste food, the way we drive or don't drive, all those choices can really bring a bigger outcome for so many more people if we have heart and soul and mind together. You couldn't have brought up a better example as far as I'm concerned. You couldn't. It would be impossible because of the changes in my life and the daughters I have have helped. When I grew up, we had to, throw, we had to I'm using that phrase intentionally, sh- shop in a thrift store And my mother was a genius. She knew how Mm. to spot quality. And she'd say, Gina, and we went to another town to do it. She'd say, see this, this is Bergdorf Goodman. We didn't shop there. She'd say, this is Saks Fifth Avenue. This is whatever, (laughs) in a thrift store. Because she said, this will last us. This will last us. So I learned that. But you couldn't tell your friends because I went to this posh high school where, believe me, they weren't doing thrift shopping. I'm glad you graduated from high school. Oh, my gosh. So now... (laughs) The conversation has shifted. If there's ever a more dramatic, hopeful shift we could talk about, it's people's pride in resale. I am a perfect example. I have a purse, a big my big green purse that I've had for like 10 years, and it costs a lot of money. And it wore out. I wrote to a leather company in New York. I called the company that manufactured the purse. They said, we use this company in New York. I called them to see what it would take to get it fixed. I had to send pictures and they said it would be like $350, which is more than I paid for the purse because I got it I got it uh-huh, at uh-huh. Nordstrom Rack where there was a great discount. So what my daughter said is, mom, let's see if we can find it on Poshmark or one of the other sites, a used one. And skip she did. Wow. So I I have wow. replaced the purse. But those are things that I like to, they're illustrative for our listeners of what change you might, you're, you might be standing there saying, well, what can I do? Well, you can buy your purse on a resale site. It came with a really nice little note. I hope you enjoy this as much as I did, blah, 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 blah. Yes. And it's just, that's what you're talking about, that mindfulness. And I would say, 95% of my clothes come from a resale. Like Goodwill is where the place I go. Yeah. So thanks for, for spurring that on. So finding common ground, let's segue to that. Um, it's critical to moving in the right direction. We are so polarized in this country. How we got here, I'm never going to be able to answer. Neither is anybody else. How can we, you and I, and others step into serious commitment to change dramatically since we are on borrowed time. You know, this might be a good place where you talk a little bit more about the IPCC report and what it basically said, the alarm, the warning. But how would you answer that? What do we need to do and have we have we adequately covered it? Because a lot in the show, we talked about change, 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 be aware, be mindful. But how dramatic... Does it need to be not in terms of our own individual actions? Is it more that everybody gets on board? Like, where is that as an economist? To move that needle a little bit, what's it going to take? Darn good question. And that is the hope, I think, to the extent that we can help understand, help everybody understand that this we're in this together. It's not just... Uh, say, Tucson, Arizona, or New York City, or... And there's no escaping it either. And there's no escaping it. I mean, 
right now, for example, if you were born in the uh, late 60s, we had maybe 150 days of 90-degree temperatures or more, but today we have over 167, 108, 68-degree temperatures. The temperatures are rising steadily if we look at it, and we're starting to see water problems pop up in various ways. We're starting to see all kinds of uh, things like hurricanes, tornadoes. I remember in 2017, my daughter got married. She was living in um, Florida, and she went through Hurricane Irma, even as my brother went through one of the fires the same summer in California. So she went through the hurricane. He went through fires. We're seeing more and more and more of this. So the more we can say we're in this together and the more we can start exchanging ideas, that will hopefully, hopefully bypass the things that hold us apart. So the more we can help people understand we're in this together, the more there's going to be common ground to interact together. And the more we can begin thinking about, uh, I was just talking with some folks out uh, in Finland, believe it or not, there's a company called Bedelar in Finland who is learning how, who's learned how to reuse materials to create concrete without as much carbon dioxide in the process of generating that concrete. There's more ways of recycling, repurposing a lot of what we now waste, and that collaborates, that borrows from people, conversation with each other, that builds on, I should say, with people talking to each other. More of a common ground that really does extend the, the democratic appeal, the community appeal that can move us forward. The more we engage and the more people become painfully on the one hand, but hugely with smiles on their face to know that there are solutions. As I said, we know what to do. We know how to do it. The question is, will we measure up to the task and right. do it in a very community right. spirit? Right. So speaking of humor, um, it's taken me a while to do what I call guilt-free flushing. We are in a country that uses drinking water to flush our toilets. Yes. When you look at the global scale and put your big brain on and realize that not just around the world, how about the Navajo Nation? How about the Hopi Nation that don't, 40%, don't have access to clean water and electricity? And I'm flushing, or toilets. Yeah. Or toilets. And I'm flushing down with drinking water. I could drink water out of the tank. So when we start seeing a big change in that, right. it's going to be hopeful and exciting. And I think it's going to be critical because if anybody wants to, who's listening from around the country, this is very you know geographic specific, but take some time to Google Lake Powell and Lake Mead. Ooh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Ooh, ooh, it makes you hurt. It like, does it make, hurt. Makes you yes. hurt. We drove to Las Vegas recently, which was more economical and greener because of the number of people in the car than flying. And Skip, I, I could barely look at it. Yeah. I so could, I like piled down about 35% of its levels, something 24. like 24. 24. Whoa. That as whoa, of last week. Wow. And you see the pictures. It's like pictures don't lie. It's not fake news. It hasn't been altered. You can drive there and see it yourself. And so common ground. We all eat, we all drink, and we all breathe. That's a lot of common ground. And we find. drive a lot. And we drive a lot. Oh yeah. Gosh. So good comment, Gina. So the idea is that we don't have to solve it today, but we have to take big first steps today. today. So if today, today we figure out, can I walk to the store instead of drive? Do I have to waste this food? Average households in the U.S., uh, about uh, 80 to 100 gallons of water per person per day. Don't have to go without showers, but take two-minute showers or three-minute showers. If we Are you joking? Does that include shaving your legs and your arms? Yeah, you could do it. No, come on. I'm, I'm, I'm down to five minutes and I've set timers and I have people in my family, my granddaughter, if she ever listens to this, that she takes 20 minute showers and don't think we're not all over her, her mother included. Like, what are you doing in there with the water running that long? Right. But that's a perfect example. We all shower. Right. I could say that if we made a list of we all shower, we all shop, we all drive. And how do we start finding that? Well, if we all around? just take one step today, uh, I might go without flying, as you've, you've already discussed. I've gone from uh, That's huge. 60 to 80,000, 100,000 miles a year. I've flown 5,000 miles the last two years. 
that's my contribution. That allows you to take a longer shower or to shave your legs. (laughs) I need five minutes We need offsets. Or stop shaving my legs. But the more we all make individuals, everybody listening to this goes out and replaces any incandescent lamps with LED lights. Yes, that's another great one. If we then start thinking about how we buy food and, and we don't buy small quantities of food, but more bulk foods, we need as much packaging. Or if we think about going for a walk further to take our clothing in to be dry cleaned or whatever it may be, little things, everybody can do one thing differently that helps in various ways. And then we open up our thinking, asking new questions, and we encourage businesses. Uh, Some of my favorite places in town have lights on way too much. I'm going to go ask one of them to change out their lighting system because that alone begins reducing greenhouse gas emissions, even as I can still enjoy uh, a good beer and some meal. uh, So different things like that. The fun part, we can't stop living. Um, and, and one of the things, I think this is really a perfect segue. I try to have like a flow here, but I have whirling dervish brains, so it's a challenge all the time. <laughs> one of the favorite things, you're, you're, an expression that you said on one of our podcasts, are we, as the inhabitants of the planet, ready for, preparing for, committed to either a hard decade or a bad century. And it bears repeating what you mean by that, because that is big. I have to stop and think, uh, let me see, a hard decade or a bad century. Expand on that. Yeah, first. no, really good. I, I kind of commented on that at the very opening of the show. We, uh, The next decade, we're going to try to imagine the economy growing 20, 25%. Even as it expands, we've got to bring greenhouse gas emissions down 45%, not in a decade, but in the next eight years. And then continuing that trajectory uh, out to the year 2050, where we get to near zero by 2050. Even as we're trying to look for ways to provide income, provide opportunity, employment for people, to provide for services, whether education, whether for health care or social services of various sorts. So we want to be able to benefit, but that means stepping back and asking how we can do it differently, still providing the same well-being, the same outcome. And that means talking to each other. That means asking businesses what they can do to step up, asking the city council, uh, asking the board of supervisors, uh, asking uh, business leaders in various ways, and letting people know if every single one of your listeners goes out and does that, that is a huge first step. We've got to take that first step followed by a second and third always on the alert for new questions, new ways of seeing, always on the alert for talking to each other in new ways. We can no longer afford business as usual. We've got to really step out, no longer increments, but pivots to big brain stuff. And the big mindset shift for me, you talk about the stock market, which is a joke because most people in our country don't have money in the stock market a significant amount of people don't have money in the stock market. That's right. So that's like, for I want to say my jersey, forget about it. Just forget about it. <laughs> However, it is an economic driver. It, it creates huge impacts in people's mind, especially in fear-based, oh my God, the stock market went down. I'm like, who cares? It didn't affect my life very much. But the, the part about um, paying for it, and you said it, a lot in this conversation is we are willing to pay hundreds of millions and billions and trillions of dollars to fix things once they've been destroyed. And then people talk about the budget for infrastructure. Oh my gosh, are they crazy? That's ridiculous. We can't spend that much money. The pivot has to be we better spend that much money because we're going to be paying for it one way or the other. Do you want to be paying it to bury the dead person or do you want to be paying it to provide changes so that the forest fires aren't as devastating, so that there is affordable housing, so that you can help with education for kids to become taxpayers, that you can provide sustainable, lasting green jobs. There's a price to this, a money dollar price, and we're willing to pay it at the end, but we're not willing to do it in what I call prevention for the preservation of the planet. The bad news is if we pay it at the end, we might not be here to make that payment. That's right. I won't be paying it. So uh, yep, we've got to right. think, and you're, what you really Good bring up point. is a form of a new way of thinking about insurance. We pay for house insurance, car insurance, or health insurance to offset unexpected costs. We need to be thinking of climate and ecosystem Great insurance point. in various ways that we've never begun to imagine before because the price will come back to haunt us. The, the cost will come back to haunt us if we're not paying attention. And I love that you brought in, it's not just me and what I can do and influence my family and tell three friends. Very important. 
critical. We have to really step up our game in impacting public policy because some of this is clearly, plainly, simply policy-driven and some of the policies have to change. Where we live, I'm very proud of our mayor declaring a climate emergency because that's what it is. People don't want to say that. It is. It's a climate crisis. It's climate cancer and it's It's spreading, whatever you want to call it. And then our county is with new leadership with Jan Lesher. She's paying attention to climate. She's smart. She gets it. And their Office of Sustainability has been highly activated to step up their game to reduce carbon emissions, to look at all of their water. So there, there is hope. So let's Let's talk about hope Uh because you have to give us... Not just a four-letter word is what you're saying. (laughs) No, we have to. We cannot end this as Debbie Downer. And I don't think the show was a downer. I think it paints a picture of the current reality. Right. And it gives us tools to know what we can do to act to the degree and level for which we have the time, the resources. We all have the power. We just have to use it. Because I know when I called the Board of Supervisors yesterday, very upset about the situation that's going on here... If they get one call, they care. If they get five calls, they really care. If they get 10 calls, it's a crisis. People don't call. When I called them a couple of months ago, they said they get so many calls a day about COVID, okay, but nobody's calling about climate, which is related to COVID. Thank you oh, all it's very much. Related. It's right, right. So give us hope. Um, you know, you talk about 15 years ago, four degrees how many degrees centigrade, we have to get it down to three and then we have to get it down to two and then we have to get it to 1.5. How do we do that, Skip? How do we get there? Do you well, have the that? good news is that we've already taken steps to go from four to three. Now we have commitments, national commitments from various countries to go from three to two. And then the extra effort going from two down to 1.5. 1.5 means basically two degrees uh, Fahrenheit, roughly about 1.8 degrees, uh, about two degrees Fahrenheit. The degree to which the planet is heating up. Yeah, and we've, I, I even make the argument that we've got to get below one degree to return to pre-1980 <laughs> levels, for I example. Agree. It's huge. But if we have people that are aware, that's the first step. If we have people that talk to each other, that's the second step. And if we have people willing to take personal actions, as you and I have just bandied about here, and such an amazing set of things we can do, not everybody has to do it the same way immediately, but the first step is going to begin buying down the cost as we then work with our, our policy folks, whether the supervisors, the council, or the business leaders, they begin to make the investments in the new technologies, the new uh, reuse of cement so we don't have to have as the same cement that creates carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, but reusing materials for new purposes, repurposing things. We have so many unused facilities in this country that if we bring them into a more productive use, we don't have to build new things. We reuse what we already have in new ways. So many opportunities, again, uh, there are so many experts already in the country that know what needs to be done that know how to do it, we have to call on them to help us. I don't know of all the things I could do individually, but I know a lot of people could help me, and I know a lot of people that would be willing if I talk with them, and they would encourage, even as we laugh at our initial failures, and then celebrate our second success, if you will. And when you talk about we've already gone from four to three in terms of degree centigrade, so what did we do? Is that what you said? You said we went four degrees centigrade, now we're down to three. What do we do to get it down to three? Well, we've passed things like building codes. We've passed uh, programs that encourage recycling. Cars cars are much more fuel efficient. We are encouraging more productive use in the way we use coal and natural gas to generate electricity. And we're moving more and more to renewables. I just had a friend of mine who taught my class for me last week. Uh, representative, former representative David Osterberg, longtime friend of mine. I helped him in 1983 create legislation in Iowa. Iowa now produces over 57% of its electricity from wind. If we encourage. Bam, I want to say bam. That's bam. And, and that's if we Iowa. get Arizona to do 60% from solar in the next decade, we've made a huge step forward. It doesn't have to be all at once or nothing. It's small steps continually 
taking advantage of that and building out to the next opportunity. There's hope. We know what to do. We have the wherewithal. I've got a colleague of mine who wrote a book called Electrify. He's an Australian-American, Saul Griffith. Uh, he and I have had some good conversations. He suggests we have the technologies to electrify our economy and to go to 100% wind and renewables, maybe a little bit of nuclear if we need it, but mostly wind and renewables no, 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 and efficiency. No, no. <laughs> well, the point no, is no, no, he's no, no. a yes and kind <laughs> yes, of guy. And. Okay. and we need to move more in that direction. But he's laid out, and I'm using his book as one of the textbooks for my class in economics and public policy, because there are opportunities. If we choose to create the policies and the wherewithal to make it happen, we could get it done by 2040, 2050, but we've got to make it happen. And you're opening up the discussion by making your listeners and the fun dialogue you and I have had over the last uh, couple of months to, to open up this discussion. A couple of years it's been now. Uh, so yeah. you give me hope when you talk about things like that. I think it's hopeful that you're teaching that class and, and reaching young, hungry eager to bring about change and minds. I'm glad to say my students are hugely responsive. I, I gave them an assignment. Sure they are. And even the ones I didn't grade as highly as the others, every single one had a good idea. I was just able to tap into it. In fact, I call the assignment a mind tap assignment. Here's what we need to do. Give me your ideas on how we make it happen. And uh, they're really good at it. Well, you better be telling them that part of their assignment is to listen to this podcast because it was worth it and it will help them. It's a mindset change. So Bingo, yes. Bingo. So there you have it. My brain definitely got big during this past hour, as it always does in spending time with you, Skip Leitner. You have been an inspiration to me for many years. You challenge me. You frustrate me because you're so damn smart and such a living example of a big brain that never sleeps. I don't think you sleep. Don't even comment. And I love, admire, and respect all of it and you. Thanks for showing up in my life. Thanks for showing up every day, working so hard to make a difference for this great planet of ours. And I very much look forward to our next big brain experience on our next podcast. And my final thanks, as always, is to you, our wonderful, amazing, inspirational listeners, because without you, there would be no us. And remember to activate your amazing big brains in the weeks and months to come. The planet needs you. And I don't know if you want to have any final words, Skip, but to me, the time flew. We did it. We nailed it. We got the concepts down that we wanted to... Um, nail or really put out there. So if there's anything you'd like to add, you can get the final word, which Whew. I really well, like Gina, having it. Uh, go for it, dude. Thanks for the questions and for the inspiration and to your listeners. Keep the hope, the questions, and the ideas coming because there's nothing but opportunity ahead. Bam. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Carbon Connection, a rebroadcast of the Impact Earth series of the Climate Reality Podcast. We'd like to thank Gina Murphy-Darling of Climate Reality and the founder of Mrs. Green's World for letting us share this episode with you. Today's episode was produced by Tanya Marion, alongside Lori Sullivan. Special thanks to Lori Sullivan for introducing us to today's episode. To listen to other shows in the network, like Generation Carbon, our show for kids, visit thecarbonalmanac.org slash podcast to see the latest episode and to find out how kids can contribute to this show. While you're on the site, be sure to take a look at Generation Carbon, our almanac for kids.